Hello, welcome to Health Chat. I'm Lina Khmudu. The UN Refugee Agency warns the drought in Somalia is having a devastating impact on millions of people in the country. The agency reports people's ability to survive is becoming eroded and many are fleeing their homes in search of humanitarian aid. The Horn of Africa region is facing the driest conditions in more than four decades after three consecutive rainy seasons failed, according to the United Nations World Food Program. VOE's Lisa Schlein has more. In Somalia, experts say climate change is kicking in with a vengeance. For the past three years, the rains have largely failed to come, decimating crops and livestock. The UN Refugee Agency reports tens of thousands of people have fled their homes in search of pasture for their cattle and food, shelter and safe drinking water. The UNHCR estimates about half a million people this year alone are likely to be displaced by the end of March. The majority reportedly are children, the elderly, pregnant and lactating mothers. UNHCR spokesman Boris Cherchikov says most arrive in urban centers or existing settlements for displaced people only to find difficult living conditions. Additionally, he says the hoped-for aid is in short supply, forcing them to resort to extreme measures to survive. This, he says, exposes them to exploitation and multiple dangers. Children have dropped out of school to help their families earn a daily income and to search for water and pasture. This has made them particularly vulnerable to risks such as forced marriage, family separation, and sexual violence and abuse. Women and girls who make up half of the displaced population are at heightened risk. Meteorologists forecast a good rainy season in the Horn of Africa. And as of now, spokesman for the World Food Program, Thompson Theory, says no area is reported as being either in a state of famine or on the verge of famine. However, hunger and malnutrition is worsening across all drought-affected areas. One rainy season may not be enough to wash away three consecutive failed seasons. And if immediate humanitarian support isn't received, this could rapidly change and millions of families could find themselves facing starvation. Aid agencies are facing the specter of the 2011 famine in Somalia, which killed more than a quarter of a million people, half of them children. The UNHCR has appealed for $157.5 million to deliver critical aid and protection to nearly 3 million internally displaced people in Somalia and tens of thousands of refugees and asylum seekers. So far, only 5% of that amount has been received. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Cameroonian health officials say they are rebuilding hospitals and clinics destroyed by Boko Haram terrorists along the border with Nigeria. In a visit to the area this week, officials said the facilities were needed for villagers who have suffered from the conflict, as well as for former Boko Haram members who have been rehabilitated. Moki Edwin Kinzega has more. Cameroon's Ministry of Public Health says at least 35 hospitals along the country's border with Nigeria have either been abandoned by medical staff or destroyed by Boko Haram terrorists. Minister of Public Health Manauda Malashi this week visited some of the remaining hospitals along the border. 
prodiguer des soins aux populations. He says, although working and living conditions are very difficult, the few medical staff members in former Boko Haram prone towns and villages are doing their best to save lives. Malashi says Cameroon's president, Paul Bia, has ordered his government to build and equip destroyed hospitals and recruit more health workers. He also says he asked several hundred hospital workers who fled Boko Haram terrorism to return to Cameroon's border with Nigeria. Malashi did not say when the hospitals would be rebuilt, but Cameroon's government says it will spend $300 million this year to reconstruct what Boko Haram destroyed, including hospitals and medical equipment. Government troops have been fighting Boko Haram along the northern border with Nigeria since 2014. Cameroon's military says there have been about 25 cases of abductions and kidnappings for ransom this year, but no large-scale attacks by the terrorist group. The military says the return to peace has allowed several thousand internally displaced persons and former Boko Haram members to return to their villages. But health care in the region is sorely lacking, say social worker like Jean-Pierre Ndlen in Kolofata district via a messaging application. Len says youths of between 15 and 35 years old are a majority of the 150 people suffering from mental health disorders that the Kolofata Hospital has received since January. He says trauma from seeing people dying or forcefully separated from loved ones, poverty, and risky living conditions are the highest causes of mental health disorders in Cameroon's northern border with Nigeria. Len says the Kolofata Hospital receives hundreds of patients every day, but has only seven health care workers. Speaking to Cameroon State Radio CRTV this week, Far North Region Governor Mijiyawa Bakari said the military has been helping civilians while they wait for the government to rebuild hospitals. Nos forces de défense se sont mis aux côtés des populations. Bakari says most Cameroon's troops deployed to fight Boko Haram have been sent to border villages to provide health care and education to both returnees and militants who surrender and leave the terrorist group. He says Cameroon's military health unit visits border villages to provide humanitarian assistance and treat sick returnees, former fighters, and the host community. Bakari said thousands of Boko Haram fighters and supporters have defected from the terrorist group since last May, when the leader of the Nigerian militants, Abubakar Shekau, was declared killed. The United Nations says the Boko Haram conflict, which started 13 years ago in northeast Nigeria, has killed more than 350,000 people and displaced 2 million across Nigeria, Cameroon, Chad, and Niger. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yawundi, Cameroon.
South Africa has the world's highest number of HIV patients, but the COVID pandemic disrupted access to care, prevention and testing, raising fears of a spike in infections. With COVID numbers reducing, South Africa's health experts are scrambling to ramp up HIV programs, as Linda Givetash reports from Johannesburg. With COVID-19 under control in South Africa, health workers are putting the spotlight back on the country's first pandemic, HIV. The community of Soshanguve, north of Pretoria, is considered a hotspot for the disease. This mobile clinic is attempting to fill gaps in HIV services while targeting the most vulnerable populations, women and girls. It's easy for them to get HIV because of, um, first of all, the boys, they don't, want to, they don't want to condomize. So if a lady depends on a guy, financial or anyhow, then it's easy for them to allow the guy not to use a condom. They are also at risk of getting raped. They are also at risk of getting married at a very young age. But reaching people wasn't as easy during COVID-19 lockdowns. There were difficulties in terms of reaching our, our target because everyone was indoors, everyone is home. People, they were losing their jobs. So there was a high risk of poverty. Obvious, when people are at home, all they do is intercourse. The United Nations says for the first time in the history of fighting HIV, there were significant declines in testing and treatment for HIV amid the coronavirus pandemic. It means people are at greater risk of unknowingly spreading the disease. Health workers say it's too early to quantify any increases in HIV spread. But they say factors like increases in teen pregnancy, gender-based violence and school dropouts are cause for concern. I'm worried about HIV rising again because of COVID, you know. I'm worried about uh, poverty going up. I'm worried about, about a whole lot of things, you know. Um, unemployment because COVID has affected our lives in so many aspects. The setback could reverse years of progress and cost lives. UNAIDS predicts that the world could face 7.7 million deaths, AIDS deaths over the te- next 10 years. And 4.7 million of those deaths will be, occur in Africa. Um, if we make the needed investments um, and, and achieve the 2025 targets, we could achieve, we could save the lives of 2.7 million people. Despite the economic impact of COVID-19, Eva Kiwango says many international groups like the Global Fund have upheld HIV funding, allowing countries to continue pursuing targets. You know, South Africa has shown um, very strong efforts and communities have been so resilient. Um, and and um, we've, saw, we've seen initiatives um, that, that have been scaled up. By reinvigorating efforts, she says HIV can become a disease of the past. Linda Giftash from VOA News, Johannesburg. Botswana, once a country with one of the most severe HIV epidemics, is now giving hope that there will be a generation free from HIV. In 2021, no mothers with HIV gave birth to children with the virus, something only 15 other countries on the planet have been able to do. VOA's Justine Mullen-Kanzakian has more. There's good news in Botswana. The southern African country is on the path to eliminating mother-to-child transmission of HIV. The World Health Organization says the high-burden HIV country has achieved the silver tier status, a certification awarded to countries that, among other things, have brought the mother-to-child HIV transmission rate to under 5%. 
A country is identified as a high-burden HIV country when more than 2% of pregnant women live with the virus. The U.S. CDC says Botswana has one of the highest maternal HIV rates in sub-Saharan Africa. However, the rate of mother-to-child HIV transmission is said to have fallen from 40% in 1999 to 1.91% in 2020. Observers say the milestone has been achieved partly due to public-private partnerships. John DeMonte is president of the Bristol-Myers Squibb Foundation. We had to demonstrate in Botswana that we could effectively treat children in very, very large numbers. And we had to do it in partnership with the government, um, in partnership with many organizations, um, community-based organizations, faith-based organizations, academic you know, institutions, to really show that we need to use the Botswana healthcare system. The WHO says HIV, the human immunodeficiency virus, affects over 36 million people around the world. Women living with HIV who do not receive antiretroviral medicine have a 15 to 45 percent chance of transmitting the virus to their children during pregnancy, labor, delivery, or breastfeeding. UNAIDS reports that 150,000 children were infected with HIV in 2020. Most infections occurred because adolescent girls and women could not access or continue needed HIV testing, prevention, and treatment services throughout pregnancy and breastfeeding. Botswana is the first African country to be validated on the path to elimination. Claire Gasamagera was born with HIV in Rwanda. Growing up, she faced many challenges as a woman living with the virus. Using her condition as an inspiration, she decided to make her voice heard and advocate for the rights and well-being of HIV-positive women and their children. Gasamagera now lives in the United States, Kentucky, Michigan. She shares her story. I never understood the weight of having HIV as a child, except that I was always coughing. I was going to a school of nuns, and they were worried that the doctor of the school asked me if I can be diagnosed. And that's when they found out I was living with HIV. But when they told me, I didn't care. It didn't mean anything because I was a child. It wasn't until when I was in eighth grade, I started loving boys. And I'll go back to see my doctor. I'll tell him, and then he would say, no, 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 no. Or Claire, the minute you have sex, you will die. I was like, why? Because you have HIV. That's when I started feeling the weight of having HIV. So another way I learned about stigma was the housemaid. So the housemaid would refuse to remove my sheets or to wash me or to do any type of care in my room. And they would say they're scared of AIDS. I'm a short woman, but nobody can ever deny my rights. I'm always speaking up because... From that early age, I understood that people can just mistreat somebody for no reason. I really uh, appreciate the revolution of internet because that's when I started dating online. I dated one, and it didn't go well. When things were not going well, I met my current boyfriend. We're a working in progress. It's not easy. The lesson I've learned is resilience. I learned it from other people living with HIV. In uh, the 1996, the West world had access to HIV treatment. But people from Africa where I lived in Rwanda, we didn't have access to treatment. 
the issue was caught. But guess what? The resilience of people living with HIV, they protested. They said, we are not taking this name until the entire world got, have access to treatment. I appreciate the women, especially women living with HIV, who came before me. Because if they were not there, if they didn't speak up, I would not be here. That was HIV activist Claire Casamagera. You are listening to Health Chat on Voice of America. It's time for a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including U.S. lawmakers in both parties are looking for new pressure points to use against Russian President Vladimir Putin amid frustration over the heavy toll from Russia's invasion into Ukraine. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday at 2105 UTC, join me, Steve Miller, as I put the latest developments into a global context with interviews and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player. Welcome back to Health Chat. A community hospital in Bangui is the only place in the Central African Republic dedicated to AIDS patients in an advanced stage. Supported by Doctors Without Borders, the hospital has 68 beds and 15 places in intensive care, which is not enough to meet the demand. VOA's Dili Diko has more. In the Central African Republic, the second least developed country in the world, according to the UN, about 110,000 people are affected by HIV out of a population of 5.4 million people. This estimate is likely low due to a lack of screening, so many patients are not included. It's one of the only countries where there is no free HIV testing, so patients know their status very late, when they are already in an advanced stage of the disease. There are some who come in the hospital here because they know it's one of the only places where there are free advanced HIV care services. Dr. Jennifer Stella, head of the Doctors Without Border team, explains that sometimes patients arrive in a deplorable state. Our mortality rate is between 10 and 15 percent, which is not bad, frankly. Given the seriousness of the patients who arrive, we have patients who die the same day or sometimes a few hours after their arrival in the emergency room. Bangui's community hospital is the only one dedicated to advanced stage AIDS patients. I was extremely tired and exhausted when I arrived at the hospital. I had no appetite or strength. But now the fatigue is starting to go away and my appetite is coming back. I feel a little better about myself. I know that if I hadn't been able to come to this Doctors Without Borders Center, I could have died. Today I am in a good health. I'm taking my medication and I can even continue my small business. When HIV patients recover, the hospital refers them to health centers for lifelong treatment. Antiretroviral triple therapies are very expensive treatments. 
but at the community hospital, everything is free for HIV patients. Dr. Amon Mahuyo is Botswana Country Director for JPAIGO, an international non-profit health organization affiliated with the Johns Hopkins University. He tells us more about how Botswana has been able to lower mother-to-child HIV transmission. Botswana has reached this milestone for several reasons. We have the commitment um, from um, the government of um, you know, Botswana to raise a HIV-free uh, generation. We have the support of donors like the President's Emergence um, Plan for AIDS Relief. And we also have the skills of local, you know, organizations that, that have made health and safety of Botswana's mothers and their newborns uh, their priority. Each provider is given to their clients. The, the nurses, the midwives prioritize respectful um, care based on science and expectant New mothers were brave and deeply committed to obtaining life-saving care for themselves and their children. Japaigo as an organization is dedicated to health of women and families. Uh, Japaigo understands the um, need to protect these gains and continue to advance the quality of PMTCT efforts and the HIV response in general to reach uh, sustainable epidemic control. We look forward to continued demonstrations under the leadership of the government of Botswana, not only to support PMTCT, but to continue to expand access to HIV testing, uh, treatment, prevention. We also need to continue cohort monitoring for HIV-exposed uh, infants to ensure that they remain negative even during uh, breastfeeding. The HIV response has continuously had to adapt to challenges. For example, we increase the convenience of um, services to clients uh, by offering multiple months of antiretroviral uh, therapy refills and also, you know, um, adjusting the testing and expanding self-testing. As Japaigo, we also are virtually engaged with our staff and collaborators um, and clients where appropriate. Some of the key pillars to the HIV response is really commitment from the leadership, also coming together of uh, different partners, bringing in resources to allow the country to respond effectively. We also have uh, a, a well-organized system that, that was uh, well-coordinated to really make sure that all the stakeholders really drive towards uh, one goal. So if these lessons are also applied to other challenges such as non-communicable disease, we'll probably uh, win the war. What I would want to say is, uh, you know, encourage all stakeholders, all partners to continue fighting and then continue pressing on. Uh, the war is not over yet. A new study led by the UK's National Institute of Health found that muscle pain is one of the top lingering health issues for long COVID patients and one of the first symptoms for Omicron cases. Experts say viral infections such as the coronavirus or physical injuries are only a few of many reasons why people could be experiencing muscle aches and pain. They say there are lesser-known causes of muscle pain that could be a result of a stressful lifestyle and managing pain properly is key to adequate recovery. For more on the subject, I spoke with Dr. Joseph Pergolisi, perioperative and pain specialist and chief operating officer of NEMA Research in Naples, Florida. Dr. Joseph Pergolisi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. First of all, I would like you to explain to us what pain is. We all felt some pain. Why do we feel pain when something is wrong with us? Pain is the number one reason why people seek medical care across the globe. And it's usually because there's some type of causative agent, something 
uh, affects your system, and as a result, your body experiences pain. And that's actually a natural protective mechanism. Is over time, if that pain does not go away, then it becomes chronic, and that's not good. How do you know if your pain is caused by a virus or something else? The pain is more or less a symptom. So it's hard to distinguish exactly where it's coming from. There are no biomarkers for pain. We do know that viruses can affect your muscles and your joints and your nerves. And particularly during COVID-19, we've seen this both acute and chronically. We know that when a virus affects the nerve, it can stay in the nerve for a long time, even after your symptoms of the cold or the virus are done. Chicken pox can turn into shingles in certain people when their immune system is compromised. And shingles is a very painful type of nerve pain condition. Other viruses like Haemophilus influenza sometimes can affect the muscle. And we call this myositis. It can also affect the joints. Let's talk about muscle pain because that's something that a lot of people feel every day. So what are some uh, unusual sources of muscle pain that could be brought on by a stressful lifestyle? Four unusual reasons why you may be experiencing muscle pain include stress, and they also include dehydration. Also, uh, poor nutrition. You know, stay away from those very heavily laden, sweetened type of goodies. And then finally, lack of sleep. Are there some easy ways that we can alleviate uh, muscle pain that does not involve taking pills or even scheduling a doctor's visit? You can uh, start off by doing things like pain stretch relieving exercises. So yoga, Pilates, going to the gym. A day at the gym is very good for everyone. And I recommend that to all of my patients. Next, you want to think about stretch breaks. And everybody's probably working very hard. They're at the computer or the desk or they're out at their job in the field. And they're not just stopping and stretching and flexing and sort of chilling out. One thing I really like is grounding. And that's when you take your shoes and your socks off and you just, you know, walk around on the grass or on the beach. Topical analgesics or topical pain relievers. You can find them uh, in the various types of consumer outlets or online. And I have one that I, I helped create called Instaflex. So you rub them right where your muscle or your joint is experiencing pain. And then you can reapply them uh, usually quicker than you're able to take a second dose of an oral over-the-counter pain medication. These affect pain where the pain is being generated from at the site, and the medication does not go uh, throughout your whole body. Uh, does it work quicker than pain pills? Yes, what we find is that when we're looking at the average type of pain pill, you have to swallow it, it has to get digested and then absorbed. And that usually is going to take a certain amount of time, about 45 minutes to an hour. Topical medications work very quickly. You can take them sooner than you need to uh, wait before you can take another dose of an over-the-counter medication. So then when and how should pain medications be used? Pains that are very bad, pains that affect you, your breathing, if you have stiffness in your, around that area of the pain, you should see a doctor. But if you're going to 
um, try to heal yourself, which is a very good thing. Um, you want to find out how this pain is affecting your activities of daily living, right? Are you able to get up and go to work? Are you able to bend, etc.? And then you want to apply some of those non-pharmacological suggestions, pain exercise, relieving exercises, stretch breaks, and topical analgesics. When we see that the pain is very severe, or we see that there's trouble moving your neck or your back. Uh, these are reasons why you want to think about um, seeing a physician. Also, if there's uh, swellingness or redness around that area that's very intense, again, you want to start to think about uh, seeing a physician. Dr. Joseph Pregolisi, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. You're welcome. That was Dr. Joseph Pregolisi, perioperative and pain specialist. That's all for this edition of Health Chat. For the latest news and coverage on the coronavirus pandemic, visit voanews.com. Thank you all for joining us and special thanks to all our affiliate stations throughout Africa for carrying Health Chat. I'm your host, Lino Kmudu in Washington with producer Dan Brown. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and strive to make every day a healthy day. in the public interest from VOA Africa. During this pandemic, the World Health Organization and Africa Center for Disease Control say if you have a fever, a cough, or have trouble breathing, you should stay at home and contact a healthcare facility. For more information, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember... To listen to VOA for the latest health news. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa.